Welcome to Sermons for a Critical Faith, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. Check us out at fpclincoln.org to learn more about us. Today we're talking about how our lives should reflect God's beauty and love. Our words and actions are meant to glorify God and God's ways, to speak of God's love, to reflect the beauty of God's creation, to honor and praise the only one who is perfectly good and faithful. Our guest preacher today is the Reverend Kara Hillhouse. She is the Hospice Volunteer Coordinator for Tabitha Health. Let's begin with a reading from Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43, by Christy Abraham, a member of our church's worship team and mission team. The scripture this morning is from Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with a request. Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then, calling the saints and the widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. A word of the Lord is still speaking. Thanks be to God. In our story today, there is a striking linguistic occurrence. It only happens once in the entire New Testament, and this is the place. The woman in our story you can call her either Dorcas or Tabitha, is referred to as a female disciple. The Greek word is methetria. Her dual names likely suggests that she was herself a cultural hybrid of sorts. In some way, she most likely straddled the cultural line between Judaism and the wider Greco-Roman world. There is no other woman identified with that noun, methetria. Luke implies by using that word that Tabitha is fully the equivalent of every male disciple who is named in the New Testament. And Luke says precisely why Tabitha is called a disciple, because she was generous in her good works and in her giving of alms to the poor. This is not to say that there weren't many other women who were generous in their good works and giving of alms, because I'm certain that there were. 
but Tabitha is the only one identified by that title. Perhaps because Tabitha had been given this recognition, something special happens. Even though there are disciples already present at the time of her death, they have heard that Peter is nearby. Peter, who has already received Christ's forgiveness and a renewed calling when he said, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And this is a man that the disciples send for right away. Once Peter arrives and makes his way through the crowd, the widows begin telling stories. Isn't that what we do? We tell stories of our loved ones when they are no longer with us. We remember together. And apparently, remembering Tabitha meant remembering her craft. The text says, the widows stood beside Peter, weeping and showing him tunics and other clothing that she has made while she was with them. I imagine many of them, seeing that they are widows and are probably not well off, might even have been wearing the clothing that was made lovingly by Tabitha. It was a wonderful tribute to Tabitha, the work of her hands displayed while stories are told of her love and compassion. It was a witness to her life lived in Christ. They were showing her off by showing off her handiwork, literally the good works of her hands. And then Peter put them outside, every one, and entered the room where Tabitha's body lay. The last time he had done something like this, he wasn't alone. He was with Jesus and a couple other disciple friends, and they had entered the room of a daughter who had died, and Jesus had said to the little girl, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up, and she did. Now Peter imitates Jesus. He prays, and then he tells Tabitha to get up. Tabitha prokipsi, that's the Greek, and she gets up. The clothing, well, that was Tabitha's handiwork, but her resurrection, that was God's handiwork. When Peter showed them Tabitha alive, breathing, he is showing them the work of God's hand, the work of the spirit to resurrect, to give life. Peter showed them God's handiwork through Tabitha's handiwork. Thinking about this story makes me wonder one thing. Does a handiwork of my life, whatever that might be, and perhaps we cannot see it at the time, perhaps it can only be discovered after we have finished living and breathing, will the handiwork of my life reflect the handiwork of God? Because I think, after all, that this is what I am meant for, what each one of us are meant for, to reflect God's love and grace in everything that we do and in everything that we say. So perhaps an important question to ponder this week is this, does our handiwork glorify God's handiwork? The trail we leave behind us, be it a trail of artistic creations, a trail of words delivered as a poem, a novel, a sermon, a play, a trail of service demonstrated in feeding, clothing, loving, and journeying with those in need, a trail of meditation and prayer, a trail of compassionate listening, Whatever our handiwork is going to be, a legacy perhaps would be a different way of saying this. Whatever tracks we leave behind us, letters, a beautiful garden, positive loving energy, does it glorify God by reflecting God's handiwork of love? Because that is our joyful and challenging commandment. 
Throughout history, and still today, women have been unable to provide for themselves by being denied, in some places, the opportunity of working in certain professions. This has made it nearly impossible for women without the protection of a husband or other male relative to survive. In order to achieve economic security, some women of poorer classes would pool their resources by living together and sharing their goods, their property, and their religious convictions. These communities not only secured the lives of members who had no one else from whom to claim their identity, but contributed to society as well by running hospitals and schools, by spinning and sewing clothing. They were self-sustained communities, so they received no outside support monetarily, and they had a social purpose. They provided a way for single women to live lives of worth and service. In first century Rome, women without men topped the list of vulnerable populations a widow had little access to economic structures. The recurring biblical theme of charitable concern for widows reveals this inferior status and their poor treatment in their community and the needs that they have and the concern that God has for them. The widows of Joppa had only Tabitha and her faith-based initiative. The only woman in all of scripture to be called a disciple Tabitha cared for the widows, apparently out of her own resources. And so her death was such a crisis that they sent for Peter. What is your handiwork? When the day comes that each one of us dies, what will be our handiwork that will speak of how we lived? What will people point to and hold up and say, see, this is how she lived. This is how he lived. She made a difference and here is the proof in the handiwork of her life and in his life, remnants of love and kindness left behind. How will our daily lives reflect the great gift and wonders of Easter? What impact will you have on this earth and on the people who know you and the entire creation in which you exist? Because every day people do good in this world. We don't always hear about it because it doesn't sell as well as bad news, unfortunately, but it's out there. There's a young man who has dedicated his life to cleaning out the rivers of the world. He's an Illinois native, and he's only 47 years old, and yet Chad Pregrecki has worked for over 24 years already cleaning up the Mississippi River and other waterways across the United States. As of a few years ago, he has helped pull more than 92,000 tires, 218 washing machines, 19 tractors, 12 hot tubs, four pianos, 1,500 toilets, and almost 1,000 refrigerators out of waterways. He lives on a barge about nine months out of the year with members of his 12-person crew. And together they organize community cleanups along rivers across the country. The garbage got into the water one piece at a time, Pragraki said, and that's the only way it's going to come out. It's a dirty job, but Pragraki took it on because he realized that no one was doing it. It began as a solo effort, and over the years, his energy, enthusiasm, and dedication have helped it grow. To date, over 120,000 volunteers have joined his crusade, helping him collect more than 12.5 million pounds of garbage through his nonprofit, 
called living lands and waters. Close to 90% of what they recover gets recycled and the rest gets disposed of properly. Talking is great, he says, but it doesn't do much at all. Action is what I'm about. Donna of Harper Woods, Michigan, remembers a day in California when she was only 11 years old, and her parents took their six children, including Donna, for a special day at the beach. Her mother brought a picnic lunch, fried chicken and her famous potato salad, and prepared a plate for each of them. When I looked up from my plate, my mother was fixing one more plate. She turned away from us and walked over maybe 20 or 30 feet to where there was a man by himself, and he was picking his way through the trash can. And my mother, I don't know whether she just put the plate there or whether she touched him gently or whether she said a few words, but I remember him turning to her in a gesture of thankfulness. Her mother came back and sat down at the table and picked up her food and ate. Years later, Donna asked her mother if she remembered the incident. Her mom laughed and said, not at all. But for me, I remembered it very well, Donna says, because for me, it was the touchstone for what good deeds would become in my life. And six-year-old Jermaine had been saving money for his family's dream trip to Disney World when their neighborhood was suddenly ordered to evacuate before Hurricane Dorian hit South Carolina. Immediately, the first grader decided that he'd rather use his hard-earned cash to help his neighbors fleeing the storm than for a vacation. He stood alongside a nearby road, handing out hundreds of chips, hot dogs, and bottles of water to those who were evacuating. He even stopped to pray with neighbors who were scared or worried. I wanted them to have some food to eat so they can enjoy the ride to the place that they're going to stay at, he said. I wanted to be generous and live to give. This is a good place to share one of my favorite quotes by Mahatma Gandhi, who said, it is the action, not the fruit of the action, that's important. You have to do the right thing. It may not be in your power, and it may not be in your time that there will be any fruit, but that doesn't mean you stop doing the right thing. You may never know what results come from your actions, but if you do nothing, there will be no results. It's easy to become worried about death and what's to come and all the uncertainties in our daily lives. But it is our living today that needs to be our focus and our concern. A life lived in God is a life where death has no final say. A life lived in God is a life that is freed from the binds that keep us from making a difference in this world. That unbinding of those chains is the living power of the resurrection. It is our living that needs to be our concern because it is here and now that God so desperately needs us to reveal to his creation all the goodness that is in store for them. It's here that so many people continue to sit in darkness waiting for the light of Christ in their lives. Every day we have the chance to make a difference for good for God or not? What will be your story? What will you weave into this world like the tunics that Tabitha wove that will leave a lasting impact for the good of God's kingdom, a lasting beauty, a lasting witness to God's goodness and grace? It's never too late to do good for the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Thanks for listening. You can access all of our previous episodes on Anchor or your favorite source for podcasts. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or join us on Facebook.